want it for the end of service today. So, now, without further ado, we'll be jumping into the book of Joel. We'll be continuing our series on the prophets that Pastor Paul has been doing a great job walking us through up to this point. Today we will be in the finer, final chapter of Joel, uh, Joel chapter 3. We'll be walking through this prophet's message for us, how it's still relevant for us today. I want you to take a look very quickly at this graphic here. Uh, this graph shows, uh, based on a study done by Crossway Publishing, which is the same people that publish the uh, Pew Bibles that are in front of you, on which, what sections of the Bible are most read by people, and what sections of the Bible are most understood by people, and conversely, what sections are hardest to understand for people. So you'll see that the least read sections of the Bible are the historical books and the prophets. They're about tied. Okay? The least understood section of the scriptures is by far the prophets, which is the section we're walking through and preaching during this series because we want God's word not only to educate you. Yes, we want that. We want to help you understand. But we also want it to inspire you and help you and change you. And I think that every part of scripture is valuable to do that. And it would be to our chagrin and disappointment if we did not spend time unpacking a difficult section of scripture in order to see what God wants to say to us through it. Amen. So that's why we endeavor to do this. That is what we're doing today, that God would change us through his word. Would you join me in prayer that he would do just that as we kick it off? Father, thank you that you reach and touch each of us where we're at. I pray that you would speak to each heart what they need to hear today in order to become a dedicated and loving follower of Christ. Would you help each of us to become all that you've intended us to be? And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. As I said earlier, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Lowell Assembly. Uh, Pastor Paul is not feeling well today. Um, him and his wife have the flu, so I encourage you to keep them in prayer as they recover. We'll be covering Joel chapter 3, uh, the final chapter in the book of Joel. If you didn't bring your Bibles, that's okay. I encourage you to reach out in front of you and grab one of those. Uh, you can find it on page 850, 850 and we'll be walking through this together today. So, it's been a practice since the church's formation to read the scriptures out loud, to read them together in a public setting, because there's power when God's word is spoken. So today we're going to read God's word together out loud so that we can hear what the Lord would say to us. So join me as I read Joel chapter 3. If you don't want to use the Pew Bible, you can actually download our app, and you can read the scriptures in any version that you would like. You can also listen to our past sermons if you've missed them. Uh, I know you guys want to hear me more often during the week, right? And you guys can also enable notifications. We promise not to abuse that. And you will get updates on events and things that are going on here at the church. I encourage you to download that. But let's read Joel chapter 3 together. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. 
For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temple. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and the fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion." May God bless his word and may he give us ears and hearts to obey it today. Many of you may not know this, but I am a secret nerd. Uh, I do my best to hide it, but it's really a failing endeavor on my part. Uh, One of my favorite guilty pleasures is Star Wars. I can remember the release date of Star Wars Episode 1. It was May 19th, 1999, and my parents took me opening night at seven years old, to go see the opening of this movie. Um, I I, I had tons of Star Wars toys, but one in particular that I I had, I actually searched forever and found the picture of it. Here it is. This is Qui-Gon Jinn. You know him as Liam Neeson, who has a very particular set of skills. And he was my favorite character. And I go into the movie, I'm clutching my action figure. I'm psyched to see this. And spoiler alert, at the end, there's this epic battle between him and Darth Maul. And he's killed. And my seven-year-old heart is broken. Okay? Thankfully, I still love Star Wars to this day. I held on. I just switched my favorite character to Obi-Wan Kenobi. It was simple. But part of the reason I love Star Wars is because it tells the story of good versus evil so well. It puts to a story the inner struggle you and I feel between light and darkness, between good and self-gratification and self-satisfaction. It puts that to a story. And my seven-year-old self can still hear Yoda saying, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side of the force, are they? (laughs) I love the Bible and Star Wars. Is it any wonder I'm still single? But uh, (laughs) the the prophet Joel... (laughs) Sorry. Um, The... All right, you guys are laughing too much. I'm offended. (laughs) All right. The... uh, The prophet Joel, he knows this about humanity. 
He knows this inner struggle, this inner fight, and he paints a picture of us of a land of two valleys. That there are two places that we find ourselves in life. He, he sees the injustice and the, the sin and the iniquity on one side, and he sees what man can become on the other side. He sees this internal fight between darkness and light, and time and time again, he's calling people back to God. And the most common phrase in this book is the day of the Lord. It's this concept of a final judgment, a final day of darkness, this terrifying day where God will bring darkness back on the head of those who choose to live in it. And he promises to judge the sins of the people. He promises to do this in a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's it's also called later in the chapter the same valley by a different name, the Valley of Decision. And that's the first valley. To start off, I want to look at the sins God says will be dealt with in this first valley, in the Valley of Decision. Uh, He charges them with this litany, this long list of past injustices. And I'm going to read some of them for you, but uh, just listen along to some of these. You have cast lots for my people, have traded a boy for a prostitute, have sold a girl for wine and drunk it. Verse 3. You have taken my silver and my gold and my rich treasures are in your temples. Verse 5. The vats overflow for their evil is great. Verse 13. They have shed innocent blood in their land. Verse 18. Earlier in the book, God accounts for other sins. He says, awake you drunkards and weep you drinkers of wine. Chapter 1, verse 4. Lament because offerings are withheld from the Lord's house. Chapter 1, verse 13. And those are just a few of the sins listed in this book. But they include lust, abandonment of children, human trafficking, theft, greed, violence, drunkenness, withholding generosity and offerings. All of these things. Few of us need to be convinced of the darkness that's within us. But just in case we think we're clean... Jesus himself reminds us in much clearer terms in his most famous sermon, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire, Matthew 5, 22. He goes on and says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Matthew 5, 28. He goes on to say, do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, but lay up for yourself treasures, or do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Matthew 6, 19 to 20. But most pointedly, he says, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 22. I don't know about you, but when I read those things, they don't excite me. They take the wind out of me. I'm immediately tempted to justify myself and to qualify my sins as being less than critical or fatal. But the reality the prophets remind us of is that we have inner darkness, sins, iniquities that vie to have dominion over our lives And when I read the prophets and say to myself, I haven't actually committed murder, theft, adultery, Jesus reminds me that these things are as much a matter of the heart as they are of the hands. One of my favorite prayers to pray in my own private prayer time is from Psalm 119, where David prays, Lord, let not only the words in my mouth, but the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because our fight is a matter of the heart. And not only that, but when I read this list of sins in Joel and elsewhere, I'm I'm not just reminded of the sins I've committed, I'm reminded of the sins people have committed against me. The wrongs that I've suffered. The wrong things that people have done to me. And I long for justice on the one hand, 
and I hope for mercy on the other. Many of us in this room have experienced the things Joel and the Lord are talking about here. You've been abandoned or abused by those who are supposed to be your protector. You've been the victim of violence and people have taken what belonged to you. Substance abuse and alcoholism have touched every part of your friends, families, and your life. Maybe your father or mother was overtaken by greed and more concerned with the advancement of their career or their own personal self-gratification than they were in developing a relationship with you. And these are just a few of the things that this small section of scripture touches on. The evil done to us and the evil done by us is a reality that the scriptures are keen on dealing with. It's something we long for God to judge on the one hand and we hope he doesn't on the other. There's this tension between wanting justice and wanting mercy. You know what I'm talking about. I, my first semester of college, I was a uh, teacher's assistant to a professor named David Ritchie. And he talked like this. He was a paisan from Rhode Island, you know, so everything he said just kind of sounded dramatic and deep and godfatherish. But he, I, I worked for him for about three years, and I, d I graded all of his papers. I prepared all of his tests. I prepared all of his classic uh, materials. I, I basically was his, his right-hand guy. And whenever I would slack off in school, I would go to a professor, be it him or someone else, and beg for forgiveness and ask for an extension on a paper. And usually because I have such a handsome mug, I just got what I wanted. But when it would come to other people, I would absolutely slaughter them when I graded their papers. Like, if, the, if I could see they didn't prepare for a test, I'd be like, you're, you, you, you have no grace. And like, I, just, I just totally would fail people. So much so that uh, Professor Ritchie started calling me kid. And the way that I got this moniker or this nickname was that he named me after Billy the Kid, the Western outlaw and murderer. To this day, if you go on my phone, you, you type in Professor Ritchie, he'll be like, kid, how you doing? You know, he'll just text me every once in a while. And I got this name. One time, I failed someone because the formatting was so bad on their paper, it looked like a third grader did it in their sleep. I was like, what? I deducted so many points for formatting errors, they failed. And brother, er, Professor Ritchie's like, kid, what are you doing? Like, it's a great paper, it just looks terrible. So, you see... I was a hypocrite. I wanted justice on one hand. I wanted people to pay for their lack of work, but I wanted mercy for myself on the other. I wanted the ability to give myself an excuse, but no one else could do that. That was my prerogative. But Joel doesn't give us that option here. He simply says, God will judge those who have hurt you. You don't get to. But you, however, are in your own valley of decision. And we feel this inner tension because our conscience bears witness to the Bible verse. All have turned aside. No one does good. Not even one. Romans 3.12. And our hearts cry out with the Apostle Paul. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Romans 7, 18 to 21. And this leads me up to my present point. Up to this point, Joel has been talking about past injustices and sins that God is going to right and judge both in us and the things that have been done to us. And now Joel switches to a call to fight in the present. He says, 
Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. That's farming equipment. And he says, let the weak say, I am a warrior. Verse 10 or 9 to 10. And in verse 14 to 15, Joel sees a vision where he says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun, the moon, they're darkened. The stars withdraw, they're shining. I had the privilege of going to Israel last month for the first time in my life with Pastor Paul. And during one portion of the trip, we drove to the top of Mount Carmel, which is where the prophet Elijah uh, defeats the prophets of Baal. And here's a picture of it. We're on top of Mount Carmel that's overlooking what's called the Valley of Megiddo. Or uh, what it's more commonly known as, its corrupted name, is the Valley of Armageddon. This is supposedly where, in the book of Revelation, the final battle takes place. This is where it's all wrapped up. History concludes. This is where God brings it all to an end. And supposedly in this valley, it says, the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. This is a place of judgment, a place of darkness. And just like Joel... This valley is not a place you want to be. Joel actually isn't describing a real valley in this chapter. The valley of Jehoshaphat or the valley of decision doesn't actually exist. It's not a historical place. It's a symbolic location. He describes this valley as a place of darkness, decision, judgment, and battle. And after we'd seen this beautiful scene, about 36 pastors were just, we were sitting around talking about the significance of these places to us. And Pastor Russell Joyce, the man who actually brought Pastor Paul to the Lord when he was 18, looked at us and said a powerful statement. God's grace is both the desire and the ability to do his will. Let me say that again. God's grace is both the desire and the ability to do his will. You see, our fight... Our valley of decision is a choice between good and evil. And God's weapon for us in this fight is his grace. That's what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Romans 7 when he says, I have the desire to do what's right, but I'm not able. I don't have the ability to do what's right. So he goes on in Romans 8, however, and he says, But thanks be to God who gives me the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Victory is God arming you with grace with both the desire and the ability to do what is right, to fight against sin. You see, our fight is not against people who do evil. Our fight, the Bible says, is not against flesh and blood. We don't wage physical warfare. We're not jihadists. We don't pick up arms. Jesus said those who live by the sword die by the sword. But that does not mean we do not have a fight to fight. Our biggest fight is the fight to obey God, love him, and kill sin within us. This is our present fight. Each of us has to fight it. And God says, let even the weakest among you say, I am a warrior. Each of us has a valley of decision moment to make. And as I'm looking at this valley of Armageddon, I'm looking out over this this incredibly important prophetic uh, place, there, I realize there's a much more immediate and important fight happening within me. People love to talk about the end times. They, they love to talk about the book of Revelation. You go up to uh, a ton of people, they will talk your ear off about what they think about theology and philosophy, and they have all sorts of opinions. Recently in my private time with the Lord, as I'm reading through the book of John, and I'm just, I'm just praying through it in my private time, Jesus approaches this woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. 
this adulterous woman. And in kindness and in tenderness, but in truth, she, she's talking to him, but she wants to talk about when the coming Messiah is coming. She wants to talk about where you worship God. She has all these theological concerns. And Jesus just looks at her and says, listen, where you worship isn't important. How you worship is, and you're worshiping men because you jump from one to another and just cuts to the heart of the issue. But he does it in temperance, in kindness, in grace. He doesn't humiliate her. He doesn't throw her out in public. But he cuts to the heart of the real battle. You see, we get caught up in cultural battles, in media battles. You know, you have half the room listening to Fox News and the other half listening to CNN. And we just like to blast each other. But nobody likes to talk about the battle that's happening within them. It gets too personal then. You, you can't make it something uh, uh, ethereal or, or far off anymore. It's, it hits home when Jesus brings the battle to light that's within you. And this is what Joel is getting at here. He switches from past sins to a current fight, a present tense observation. He says, multitudes are in the valley of decision right now. What has God been putting his finger on in your life? When you pray... What, what is God trying to talk to you about, but you're willing to pray for Carl, Susie, Pam, everybody else, pray about whatever. But when it comes to that, you're like, no, 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 Lord, this isn't a dialogue, this is a monologue, and I'm talking to you. And prayer no longer becomes prayer, it becomes your diatribe to heaven. Because you're unwilling to deal with what God wants to talk about. And you know what it is. God's spirit speaks clearly to our conscience. I've had plenty of moments like this. Listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I still have moments like this. I can remember my first semester of college. I'd broken up with a girl who was not a follower of, G of Jesus to go train to be a minister. Okay, I'm, I'm still gruff and dirty. I'm coming right out of this. I'm like, what? you know what? I'm following Jesus, but I'm leaving that behind. But I get to college and, you know, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm divided, so I, I keep, you know, we keep a text chat going. We keep in communication. And though I had physically done the right thing in leaving New York and coming here, my heart was divided. And this is what Jesus talked about earlier. Our fight is a matter of the heart. I had a dream one night where I believed the Lord was speaking to me. I stood at a, outside the house where I grew up. There's a road, and it forks. There's this crossroads. And I had a dream. I'm standing at this crossroads, and... I stand there so long that my clothes become tattered and my hair becomes white. One road was well lit. The other road was dark, but I wanted to go that way. I woke up. My dad called a few minutes later, and I'm just talking to him. You know, I'm just talking to him about how I feel divided about my decision. I don't know if I should be here. Maybe I made the wrong choice. And not knowing anything about the dream, he says to me, Dylan, choose the difficult thing and move on. Otherwise, you'll end up old and regretful. If you get nothing else today, I hope you get this. Division is the enemy of decision. Division is the enemy of decision. I had a valley of decision moment to make. God had given me everything I needed to make it. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Say, all things. You see, my issue, our issue, isn't that God hasn't given us the grace, the power, and the ability we need. My issue is that sometimes I'm not willing to exercise it. 
I'm unwilling to wield the weapon he's given me. He's fully equipped me for battle. And as I'm in the battlefield, sometimes I drop my weapon and embrace my enemy. And I say it with a heavy heart and with no pleasure, but no one ends up being judged by God who didn't choose it. Many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He's uh, famous for writing the Chronicles of Narnia. He's a widely known Christian author. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him. I don't know if I can say that. Like, whatever. I, I think he's okay. But I think his best work, his masterpiece, probably his magnum opus, his, his most phenomenal book he ever wrote, in my opinion, was The Great Divorce. Listen to this quote from it. Some say of temporary suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have but this, and I'll take the consequence. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness. What does that mean, in other words? That means that you have tremendous ability to change the course of your life if you're willing to make the right decision. You see, your future is not something that is set. You are not destined to be anything. God's power is able to make you whatever he's called you to be. If you're willing to take that step out with him, he's willing to meet you there. You are not consigned to defeat for the rest of your life. You are able to determine your end by your beginning and the decisions you make in the meanwhile. Because he's given you grace and power and love and favor and the ability to be everything you need to be. And from this place, this valley of decision, this place of battle and darkness, God speaks of another valley. I'm going to call the worship team back at this time. And as they come, I just want you to listen. Listen to God's promise for you. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers will not pass through it again and in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim verse 16 to 18 the valley of Shittim was a place where the Israelites entered into the promised land it was this oasis on top of the Dead Sea on the North Shore that was green in the middle of desolation. This valley is also the place in an end times prophecy from Ezekiel 47 where it says God's presence will flow like a river from the temple and go to the valley of Shittim. God's presence will literally be in this valley and cause growth. You see, this is one of these places in the, uh, in the Bible, and here's why this matters, where location determines meaning. If you read over this and you just read by it quick, the, the Valley of Shittim, you, you wouldn't know what it meant. You'd just be like, well, that's another place. Why does that matter for me? But this is the place where everything started and everything will finish 
And this is the place that, unlike the Valley of Decision, is a real place that you can visit today. It is tangible. It is not dark. It is light. It is not empty and judgment-filled. It is full of God's peace and God's presence. And God promises that His presence will meet you there. The Valley of Shittim. It's where the scriptures prophesy God and you will be. And you may be in a trying place right now. You may be in a fight right now. You may be in a place where God's challenging you to forgive someone, and that's your fight. You hear the words of the Apostle Paul in here that says, as you have been forgiven, so forgive. Some of you are in a fight where you stand at a crossroads and God says, choose. And Jesus' words ring in your ear, a man cannot serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. Division is the enemy of decision, and you can make that choice and resolve today to follow Jesus, no matter what it costs. Others of you are so worried about your finances and if God's going to provide that you've neglected to be generous in both giving to the, the ministries and the tithes that we have here and neglected to be generous to the poor, to be open-handed because your fear has controlled you. That's your fight, but you can win it. You see, each of us has a valley of decision moment to make, and it changes. There's different seasons, there's different times, there's different challenges we all face, there's different personalities that we have that are susceptible to one thing or another. But God's promise to you in the valley of decision is that he will lead you out to the valley of Shittim if you're willing to be with him. Remember God's future promise when he says in Deuteronomy 30, this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. I've set before you life and good, death and evil. He set it down at our feet. He's laid a platter for you. You have everything you need right in front of you to reach down and pick it up. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. In order to reach that valley of blessing, you have a valley of decision moment to make today. God's given you the grace and the power and the ability and all the desire that is necessary for you to begin that walk or continue it. And you could remain in the valley of decision until you die there, but the valley of Shatim, the valley of peace, the valley of God's presence is worth whatever loss you have to experience now in order to get there. Joel promises it will far exceed this valley of darkness and judgment that we are in. The first sermon I ever preached was the most difficult. It wasn't difficult because I'm inexperienced. It wasn't difficult because I'm shy. You can tell I'm not. It was difficult because I was preaching to myself. I was preaching from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, and he says, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or some translations say dung, in order that I may gain Christ. I realized in preaching that I had a painful valley of decision moment to make. And the only way I could get through it was to remind myself, to preach to myself, that if I had Christ, I had all I needed. But if I did not have Christ and gained the world, I forfeited it all. 
no one is going to make the valley decision that you need to make. No one's going to make it for you. You have to fight for it. Because there's a lie in our culture that faith is a blind surrender. That faith is a passive state and attitude. It's a lie. Faith is a fight. To trust the Lord. And Christ did not die, resurrect, and is not currently raised and interceding at the Father's right hand so that you could die in darkness. That is not why he came for us and that is not why he died for you. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. John 12, 46. Christ lives to bring you from the dark valley to the one of peace. Christ lives to help you win that internal battle. But will you take the next step with him? That's the question. So what we're going to do this morning as we worship this last time is you got an index card on the way in. You have pens in front of you. Whatever decision you need to make, whatever step you need to take, some of you need to say no to something. You need to say no to being unkind to your wife. You need to say, no, I will not be with those people anymore. No, I will not do this anymore. If you fold that and you bring it up here and you say a prayer to the Lord, I have every confidence that He'll hear you. I will not look at these. They'll be disposed of. And some of you, you need to say yes to something. You need to start saying yes. I'm not going to be fearful with what God's given me. I'm going to be open-handed. Yes, I am going to give my life to Jesus. I'm not living for me anymore. My life is not my own. God is on the throne. I, yes, Lord. Say yes to you. If you didn't get a piece of paper, listen, it's, it's symbolic. If you want to come up to the yes or the no station and you want to pray a simple prayer, this is between you and God. Nobody's going to pray for you because nobody's going to make the decision for you. You have to make it. And God will empower you with everything you need in order to follow it through. Will you make the step today? Will you make the decision to follow Jesus and forsake whatever comes in order to have him? In order to get to that valley? Will you make that step? Will you exercise the grace that's been so graciously and expensively given to you? Will you neglect it and treat it as nothing? The choice is yours to do with God's grace. stand with me and let's worship the Lord. Write and come during the song as you will and pray as you will. If you have to leave, please hold your conversations to respect those who are reflecting and praying. Father, thank you that you've given us your grace and your power and your mercy that we could live in a redeemed, loving relationship, that we could have a new life through you. God, would you give us that today and would you help us to make the decisions we need? We ask this in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Worship with us.
Lord, whatever valley, whatever trial, whatever flood and fire, Father, we know that you're going to help us and that you're going to be with us. I pray that you would help us to stick close by your side and to walk by the Spirit. We know we will not gratify ourselves if we do that. Would you keep us close to your hand? Would you take us by the hand and lead us this week? We ask it in the powerful name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may continue to worship. You may go, but please hold your conversations to the foyer. Thank you. Thank you.